Welcome to Tales of Northern Michigan's Past. I'm your host, Christopher Struble. I've always had a passion for history, especially the history that abounds us here in Northern Michigan. And in addition to this podcast, I also have a company that I formed nearly a decade ago named Petoskey Yesterday, which gives me the opportunity to share our area's rich and diverse history by providing walking tours, private driving tours, hosting motor coach tours that come here from all across the country. In addition to that, I also do various speaking engagements and online visual presentations centered around my vast collection of vintage photographs. So I'm able to escape the jewelry store that I also own in Petoskey. You can often find me out and about sharing information with guests about such topics as Prohibition, Ernest Hemingway's time in the Petoskey area, Bayview, Michigan's Methodist Summer Retreat, but the most popular of all seems to be Petoskey Yesterday's Evening Ghost Walks, especially this time of year as the days become shorter and the nights darker and longer. As I learned this past weekend, the original inhabitants of this area, the Ottawa or Dawa, have their own beliefs about the spirits and energies that come with the changing seasons, which are not to be exploited, sensationalized, or trivialized, but instead shared in a respectful way as chapters of Michigan's history which is something that I always try to do when I am sharing the stories and experiences of the paranormal, for lack of a better word, that have been told to me over the years. Keeping with the theme, as Halloween is almost upon us, we're going to finish this season of Tales of Northern Michigan's Past with a few episodes of otherworldly happenings within Michigan shores. So joining us today to share some of his expertise and hopefully a few tales of the spirits from bygone eras on and around Mackinac Island, is author, historian, and seeker of the unusual, I love that, and Mackinac Island's ghost specialist, Todd Clements. How you doing, Todd? I'm doing well. You? I'm good. Like I said, we were out late last night uh, in our pre-discussion. We were out uh, doing a tour in the, in the sideways rain, and it was, uh, it was more than chilly out there, so... But I want to thank Sounds you for... Uh, beautiful, right? <laughs> yeah, for, uh, for Northern Michigan, you just got to get used to it. There's no such thing Northern as bad... Michigan. No such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing, right? Right. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time uh, to join us today. I know this is uh, probably still a busy time of the year for you because you are the owner of Haunts of Mackinac, a tour company on the island. Want to tell us a little bit about your company and what you guys do? Yeah, uh, we. This is our. We're coming to the tail end of our fifteenth season, uh, doing haunted history tours on Mackinac Island. Um, yeah. Are you the uh, the only tour guide that goes out and around? Actually, it started out, it was just me doing tours when it first began. And I realized, one, I talk a long time when you get me going. <laughs> and the tour was going much, much longer than it was supposed to. And two, I didn't think I was as theatrical as someone who was trained to do theater or someone who was like a professional type presenter. So I started to look for people so I could have them do tours as well. And eventually I phased myself, for the most part, out of doing tours on a day-to-day, night-to-night basis. I do them once in a while for special requests and things like that. But uh, we have tour guides that go through roughly a month of training to be a tour guide for Haunts of Mackinac. Yeah, and I kind of run into the same thing. I get more requests than I have uh, time, and I, I still like to do yeah. it all, all myself. Um, and I, I tend to go on a long time, too. So there's supposed to be 90 minutes, and I'll finish up. Uh, I try to come in, you know, on that 90-minute mark, maybe two hours. But then uh, people always want to share their stories, too. You, you find that happening. What's fun for me is when people, in the beginning, I'll say, how many people believe in paranormal experiences, and not, not very many hands go up. And at the end, everybody's got a story. 
way we what a lot of us start it is we'll say because you have to stay overnight on Mackinac Island to do the tour. Right. It's kind of one of the catches. Uh, that's the ferries end at 7 p.m. It's not spooky time yet, so we have to do the tours for people who are staying overnight. But um, I tended, I remember my first tour. Uh, that's when I realized I could talk a long time if I got going. Uh, it was a Halloween weekend, and I did a book signing because I, I published two books for Mackinac's Ghost Stories, History, and Legends. And I did a sign-up sheet at a book signing. I had 70 people sign up to go on the ghost walk. No charge, free. Just see, show them the sites, talk about the book, have fun. They all showed up. And when I got done, about three and a half hours, maybe a little more later, I had 68 of those 70 people, and the only people that left was someone who was pushing a wheelchair who was too tired to keep going. That's a pretty good testament. So I lost those two. So it was a good test, and one person said, you need to do this every night. You need to make this. this has, you should run this as a business. And after that, Haunts of Mackinac, the tours, pretty much was born the next year. Now you guys do tours every night? Uh, usually we do them every night, mid-May to late October. This year, we were a little bit shorthanded. We couldn't do them every night. We were doing them four or five nights a week. Uh, we hope next year to bring it back to every night. That's kind of the same as me. I'd like to do them every night, but I kind of get, I don't know, you don't get burnt out, but you want to keep it fun for yourself, too, you know? So Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm looking for maybe an apprentice to kind of learn some of my stories. The thing is, I'd like to change them up every night. I, I kind of, I've got so many stories now that I, I, I have to kind of, uh, you know, revolve some of the stories and keep it fresh, too. Um, Sound just like us. <laughs> we try and change them every year if we can. Yeah, and you keep, you keep getting all these great reports and stuff, probably. So, And then yep. you know, something you put on the back burner for a while, and you bring them back and, and remember how cool those stories were, too. And then you, you see, I, I always see a connection. Exactly. What's your connection to, to Mackinac Island? Uh, well, when I was a kid, growing up, my parents had a cottage just south of Mackinac City, and we would spend a lot of the time going to the island and hanging out on the island because south of Mackinac City, it got old. We got bored. There was a beach, but when you're a kid, there's only so much time on a beach you can have before you start to just be like, we need to do something different. So we'd go to Mackinac Island, go back and forth, back and forth, and we stayed one year when I was 12 at Mission Point. And that is when I had an experience that got me involved in paranormal. I was at the pool in July, nice summer day, swimming, 12 years old, get out of the water, throw a towel on, sitting down next to my mom. I'm looking up at the bluffs behind the, the resort, and I see a man standing on the edge of the bluff, but he wasn't at the top. He wasn't at the bottom. There's like a little ledge uh, on the bluff. And I, and I could see that he wasn't, something wasn't right. He wasn't solid. He wasn't really, he was there, but he wasn't there. I turned to my mom, hey, look. And when she turned around and I turned around, he was gone. At first I was like, okay, what was that? Was that a ghost? I don't know. What did I just see? So later that day, I go up to that bluff area to see if someone could have been on that little ledge and just in literally the blink of an eye disappear. There's no way you could even, it was hard enough to, I didn't even climb down to it because it was too risky because it was on the edge of a bluff. And there's no way someone could have disappeared, climbed up it, or hidden behind anything. So I was just like, I just saw a ghost. I saw a ghost. And I was like, what is a ghost? <laughs> How old were you at that time? 
12, 12 years old. 12 years old. From there, I was just interested in everything strange and unusual, UFOs, cryptids, ghosts, all of it. Uh, that's kind of me. I, I, Bigfoot. Did you throw Bigfoot in there by any chance? <laughs> um, we don't have Bigfoot on the island, but we have them in the neighborhood. <laughs> We've heard in the UP for sure, and some of Northern Michigan. There's stories of them. So you are interested in the same kind of things I am. Oh yeah. Uh, last year we did an episode of some of the ghost stories I've personally documented about Mackinac Island, as some of the more well-known tales that have been written about. And you just told your story at Mission Point. And that's one that I was right. able to find online, too. There's quite a few different stories about what, who that guy possibly is. A scorned uh, lover had <laughs> left him, or have you heard any of those, those stories online? I, referring? The story that we've heard through one of his roommates from back in the day, he said that he was never dating the girl that he professed his love to. So what happened, this is the story we heard, is... He was obsessed with this one girl. He constantly wanted to try and talk to her, and she just she had a boyfriend. So she was like, leave me alone, leave me alone. And one day, I guess he really just let it all out and said, I love you. I want to marry you. I want, I want us to be together. And she was like, no, and I don't care if I ever see you again. Just go. Just Some people have said that she said, you can die for all I care, but I don't know if that's true or not. But uh, after that, it supposedly this this event happened sometime in February or late January, and then he went missing. They found his body in July, back in the woods above Mission Point. So, how he died, we know how he died, or at least we know what killed him. We don't know if it was a suicide or a murder. Some have the, the the police case says the police files say it was a suicide, but there's some things in the police file that don't make sense. And I talked with a state cop about it, and he was like, "Yeah, there's a gunshot wound and there's skull fragments twenty feet to the like south of the body. There's also gunshot wounds and skull fragments fifteen feet to the north of the body." He said he, he got shot in the head twice. He said there's, based on the forensics that this state officer knew, he's like, Most bone fragments don't go in two separate directions, 30 feet apart from one gunshot wound. He's never seen it. He's never heard of it. He said, it sounds like somebody staged a suicide, but he can't say it for sure. The case is closed. They aren't reopening it because there's nothing to reopen. The body has been cremated. There's nothing to look at anymore. So he said, you just might want to think about it. It could have been a murder. And we, doing ghost hunts, <laughs> we've got confirmation through the K2 meters when you do the whole yes, no, um, getting it to light up. We've had interactions through that. We've had some EVP works, and we've worked with some ghost boxes. And one thing that was consistent was I didn't kill myself murder those were things that came across and we didn't know we didn't have the police report at the time we knew he was he had died somewhere in the woods but we didn't know how and then we found in uh evps rifle what's <laughs> the word kept coming across we're like okay well there's and then we got the police report we saw rifle 
it was we found out what kind of rifle it was his rifle but um some people think that whoever did it if it was a murder they some people have said it might have been the ex-boyfriend or the boyfriend of the girl no one knows for sure but the rifle was his rifle some people think he may have grabbed the rifle out of his dorm room put it in the woods this is not my story this is just kind of a legendary rumor about it put the rifle in the woods took him to the bar went out drinking let bygones be bygones and this guy's not leaving my girlfriend alone he's thinking in his head i'm gonna make sure he doesn't bother anymore let's go for a walk in the woods it's snowing or something and they go out and they they go for a hike and he comes back and harvey never came back harvey's his name uh, nickname. We don't use his real name out of respect for the family. Sure. But uh, Harvey is the nickname that he's had for 40 years, 50 years. I don't even it, I don't know when the first sighting of his ghost was. I saw him in the 80s. But the the staff at the resort had seen him before that. I talked to some of the people that were there, and they were just like, oh, yeah, he's been around forever. That's Harvey. He's a mischievous guy. He was a student at the college, and he died. That was kind of what went around. This ghost was common. He's from the era back when there was a college there. Yep, from the 1960s. He was a student, and he went missing in 67. And uh, the school was only there for four years. Um, there's a rumors that, one, it was so isolated that the kids were having trouble because it was just so remote for a college to be at. Some people said they had some financial troubles. They, they, there was a lot of reasons, but it only lasted for four years and graduated one class. So this is a pretty well-documented story. I mean, this isn't just uh, local lore. This one's, this one's got some good good backbones to it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's There's definitely a lot to it. So um, we've investigated his dorm room. A lot of people said there's activity. We didn't find anything. But a lot of people say there's activity in his former dorm room. It was a hotel room for a while. Now, it, last I checked, it was housing for employees. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting place. It's, and there's multiple ghosts at Mission Point. We don't know what the draw is to Mission Point, but, yeah, there's quite a few different ghosts there. Yeah, a friend of mine is the resident uh, musician. Well, he was for years and years and years the resident um, musician up there. And so he would he'd be there in the off-season, kind of in the, in the shoulder seasons and he had a couple of experiences himself at Mission Point, but then also every worker there seemed to have a have a story of their own. Also, yeah, if you've been there long enough, chances are you did have some sort of experience. Some of them write it off as nothing. Some just refuse to acknowledge they saw something or heard something that shouldn't have been there. Yeah, and you and I have a, a mutual friend, uh, John Cassidy, and John's uh, founder of yep. Bumps and Bumps yep. in the Night Paranormal Investigations. Then you go out with the same kind of equipment that John has. You you mentioned some of the equipment you guys use. Oh, yeah, we have tons of equipment. Um, we've got everything from Shack Hack, Ghost Box, Frank's Box, whatever you want to call it. There's a million versions of it. We've got a few of those. We use Mel meters, K2 meters, thermometer, temperature gauges that measure the air in front of you, not the laser ones. REM pods. I mean, we've got tons of equipment. A lot of uh, audio equipment. I'm really big into doing audio, listening for EVPs, and I do real-time my wife knew how much I spent on some of these recorders. She'd probably be like, are you serious? And it's probably the same. If somebody, somebody were to ask you, how many pieces of equipment do you have? You'd say, uh, well, not, not quite enough. Or how many more do you need? I haven't counted them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's too many to just say, yeah, that many. I mean, there was a time we used to do some experimentation with some equipment. And uh, 
we haven't done it in a long time because it's it's it was tedious and it just we got rid of some of the equipment eventually because we just didn't use it as much but uh we used to do a thing called a k2 grid where we would measure a grid out on the floor about two feet apart like two foot squares put a k2 meter at every intersection on the grid and we'd have like 30 k2 meters sitting in this grid and we would just turn them all on step back and just watch we do our normal is there anyone here can you move across those lights they won't hurt you that kind of a thing we did it a few times nothing and one time we did it and saw the lights move in a pattern across the field light up and dim and light up and dim as though something was moving through the field and everybody there was people were swearing it was there was like I think six or seven people in that investigation and we just couldn't it finally worked it did what it was supposed to do and we only had to do it one time that's probably a big reason why we didn't do it that often we did it several times and only had a result one time but that one time was worth it yeah it seemed like it was like a pretty pretty substantial uh, moment there yep yeah that was a that was a big one uh we watched we use glow sticks on our tours so we can identify who's on the tour and who isn't and we were after a tour one night we decided to take a few people sit in the sound stage at mission point we're all sitting at a big round table and chairs just chit-chatting and talking about the ghost stories that weren't on the tour and things that have happened because you can only put so much on and some of the guests want to stay after and hang out so we're sitting there and one of them tosses their glow stick on the table in the middle it's in the middle of the table we're all sitting there talking not thinking anything of this glow stick in the middle of the table and next thing you know it's off the table about two or three inches off the table floating and drops it was very fast everybody saw it you heard it hit the table when it fell it made a small little noise when it hit the table but everybody at the table was just like did that just happen and we're like yeah i think it did so when you're not even in investigation mode, something happened. Yeah, and I like what happens on tours. I, lo- I love when I'm actually with, out with a group. Like uh, we were at a, a, a local hotel here, and uh, the piano starts playing all on its own. I, I like when those things kind of happen because people get their dollars yep. worth that way. Yep. Uh, our mo- on our tour, there's two spots that tend to be the spots that people will be like, Oh, they, they get photos, they have things happen. Those spots would be Biddle House, which is on Market Street. And the Biddle House in the top left-hand window, people see figure of a person. It's a girl. It's a little girl. <clears throat> when we originally started doing the tours and talking about Biddle House, she wasn't the tour. It was her sister's uh, story that we told. And her sister was... Uh, it was she was engaged to be married to a man from Philadelphia and they were in love and his family came from money. Her family was well off, but she was half Native American. And this was back in the early 1800s. And Native Americans didn't have the best reputation in high society. And they said, if you marry this girl who is half Native American, we're cutting you off the, out of the family fortune. So he broke off the marriage. So he breaks off the marriage and she dies not that long after. Some say of a broken heart, but I think technically it was tuberculosis that killed her or or something along those lines. I've got it written down. I just can't remember. There's a lot of diseases that swept through the island. 
and supposedly at her uh, semi, at her funeral, everybody's gathered around where she's buried. She's still buried there today, and uh, obviously, well, um, they do move bodies occasionally on the island, but that's another story. Yeah, everybody in the family uh, leaves the the funeral. They walk away. And apparently he, someone had spotted him walk up to the tombstone and place a single rose on her tombstone. And he stayed there for a minute or two and then he walked away and he was paying his respects to the woman that he loved. But because money was more important to him than love, he broke the marriage off. Some people say that they see on the anniversary of her funeral, a man and he, he was a soldier in a soldier's uniform, walk up to her grave and place a single rose on her grave. Now, over the years, that story's kind of gotten bigger and bigger, and there's sometimes a plastic rose sitting on her grave because someone put it there. Every season, it seems like someone puts a plastic rose on her grave. <laughs> so that was the ghost story we used to tell at the Biddle House, and then when we were doing our tour people started noticing this figure in the window and, and they're taking pictures and I haven't seen a picture that's made me go, Oh my gosh, that is the best picture I've ever seen type of picture. But you can see there's somebody in the window and the window, the room that, that window's in is an attic. And it originally was a dressing room where staff employees who worked in this house, because it was kind of a reenactment house where they'd cook and they'd make yarn and do all these things to show the, the tourists. That's where they would change their clothes. And I, we've had a lot of tour guides that have worked for us that used to work at this house. And they would say, yeah, all it's up there. It's like a dressing room in a corner. And is there anything near the window? There's nothing near the windows. So we're like, okay. And they said, oh, yeah, we hear footsteps up there when no one's up there all the time. And we don't know what it is. But that was what they knew of what was going in the house. We didn't think it was good enough to really give it credit for the tour. But if people ask, we say, yeah, occasionally there's footsteps in the house. Then we started seeing this little girl's figure uh, in the window, and we were trying to debunk it, looking at what, what is what is near the window. Nothing. It's a wall. There's nothing there. And since it used to be doing, they did reenactments, they've now turned it into a Native American museum downstairs. They still cook food, and the kitchen is still there, and the blacksmith shop is still there. But they no longer are uh, have all the actors they used to have in there doing reenactments. So they don't really use the room at all. It's pretty much an empty room now. It's storage room. And people are still seeing this figure. And we don't know why she's there. We know how she died. We know how old she was. She was nine years old. She went on a walk over the ice in the winter. The ice broke. She fell through. She got, they got her out. She survived that. But she developed pneumonia after that. And she died from pneumonia. And we assume it was in her bedroom, which would have been that room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been common at that time. Yep, yep. Now, the there Biddle... was no real doctor's offices or hospitals on the island at the time. Now, the Biddle House, isn't that uh, said to be arguably the, the oldest house on the island? Yep. It is the, uh, it's the oldest standing original location family home on the island. There's one house that's older, but it's been relocated, and it doesn't have as much of a story as the Biddle House has. I mean, um, the Biddle House is uh, funny thing about the Biddle House. The brother of Edward Biddle was the inspiration for a Walt Disney movie called The Happiest Millionaire. That I did not know. So, 
Yeah, that's yeah. We 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 always try and find the weird history, the weird things about what we know on the island. Can't always find weird things and strange things, but sometimes we do, and that was one of them. Yeah, you know, we were just doing a podcast last last week. We did a um, the the the, uh, the story was Anatomy of a Murder, and um, Volker, the uh, the attorney, he became a, a U.S. Or, I'm sorry, a Michigan State Supreme uh, Justice, and he was appointed by. Uh, Soapy Menon, and, and you know who Soapy Menon is, right? I've heard the name, yes. He's a governor. He's buried there on the island, on yeah, Rackin Island, yeah. and they called yeah. him Soapy Menon because his family, he was the heir to the... Yeah, the a big, I think he has a big plaque up somewhere near, like, uh, up at the, near the top of Crow's Nest Trail, sort of near Ann's tablet area. I think that's his, I think it's his big plaque. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see his name pop up as, and you know, in connection with the anatomy of a murder. Um, I've seen that; it just kind of cracks me up. It's, it's like a soapy men in the politician. It goes back to kind of like um, uh, Brother Where Art Thou is <laughs> kind of a mock uh, oh, poli- yeah. politician's yeah. name. A CNN actually had a poll out last year, and the results were that Michigan's one of the top four haunted states in the union, and they actually listed Mackinac Island as one of the most haunted locations in the country. Yeah. I mean, I believe it. I, I, we may not have the most ghosts of any location. I mean, I'm sure New Orleans and Savannah and some other places have more, but we're really small and they're big. That's yeah. why I'd say it's so like concentrated. It's just a concentration of locations with stories and ghost stories and experiences from people. Where if you go to New Orleans, you got French Quarter, you've got the Garden District, you've got riverfront you've got all these different spread out by miles and miles areas downtown Mackinac is like three or four blocks that's it and it's not like a city block it's a short block so it's not that big there's things outside of the city but a majority of the ghost stories are in the downtown area yeah and you you mentioned um you know moving bodies um unfortunately that is a, that's something that happens up there let's go back thousands of years uh we can talk about like alexander henry who talks about skull cave and what yep. he found there yeah uh, but we had a native american uh historian with our group last year i'm sorry last week actually for our hemingway conference and we were talking and and you know much of uh round island and, and boys blank and and mackinac island that, that those were cemeteries i mean there's bodies all over downtown the Han House, everywhere, <laughs> everywhere right? Yeah. Um, the Han House. Yep. I was staying in the Han House one one time, and they have a they have a very old section in the back too. Have you ever been in the Han House? The, uh, the oh yeah, small bed and breakfast there. Did there. you see the shoe? Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. Yeah, the moccasins okay. what got me going. Did they tell you the story behind it? Yeah, and that's what I was saying. You know, those those bodies are just there's there's so much uh, there, there's not much dirt on 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 the island, so there's shallow graves too, and they uncovered no. those, those those Native American girls, right? There was two of them. Is, is, um, is that correct? It was one or two? I know of one. I think it was one. It could have been two, but what they told me was when they were putting in, doing some work on the kitchen with pipes or something. That's it. They were under the floorboards and they dug a little bit and they came across bones and there was some clothing and some jewelry and like tattered. And they grabbed one of the moccasins and they were showing it to people around. And then they forgot, they put the moccasin somewhere and they finished the kitchen and put the floor in and oh, wait, her shoe. (laughs) It wasn't put back in the, they reburied her. Yeah, they They reinterred her, yeah. Put the shoe back. So (laughs) they were just like, oh my gosh, well, what do we do? Well, I guess we've got something we'll show off. We'll keep it around. 
And I think last I heard it was in like a case on a fireplace. That's where I saw and it. And they nicknamed her She Wanna Shoe. <laughs> she Wanna Shoe. <laughs> so She Wanna Shoe, because they didn't know her name, but they thought it would be funny because it sounds like a Native American name, She Wanna Shoe. So she wants her shoe. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I the night I, I I had stayed there the night previously with a with a with a friend and um, and she kept complaining and telling me like all evening long kept me up. I I, I keep seeing a Native American girl walking through through the bedroom. I'm like I didn't see anything, so I'm kind of like you know kind of not really buying uh, her story. And then the next right. morning we we're having breakfast and I look up I see this moccasin and I had to inquire about that and <laughs> you're like. Mm. Yeah, and I heard I the same story you just told. That's that was the same the same explanation. And uh, in the back of that hotel, yep. there's that that really really old log cabin. Also, it goes goes way back to yep. one of the again one of the earliest buildings on the island. Um, 1940s, I think, or even earlier. It might be earlier than that. I can't remember what year it was that 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 part of the hotel or the bed and breakfast is from. And that's getting pretty old for Northern Michigan, because most things are. Uh, it is old. Uh, and and then in addition to the the Native American cemeteries, uh, no, from what I had heard, uh, when you came into Mackinac back in the old days, one of the first things you would have seen was a, a European or um, a cemetery up on the left hand side. So they moved all those uh, bodies inland and moved the the cemeteries inland because they didn't want the first thing that the tourists saw when they came up to the island on the ships and the and the, and the steamboats there to be the cemeteries. So right where the village inn is. If I'm correct, if you take yep. a take a right, go towards Market Street. There's that big gray building there, and that used yep. to be a... everything from Village Inn up to Market Street was the old church. Saint Anne's Church used to sit there, where the Village Inn is where Saint Anne's originally was sitting on the island, and the the gray the graveyard was right next to the church, which was traditional back in the day. Now, when they uh, it's a long story. I'm not going to go to the whole story, but I'll sum it up. Um, Madeleine Lafonbois moved the church because the church was having financial trouble and they, she donated land and saved the church who's a member of the St. Anne's Church. She donated the land where it sits today. They moved most of the church been obviously redone numerous times since then. This is in the 1820s I believe it was moved. There's no actual date that says the the year that it was actually moved, they just have an estimate. It was sometime around the 1820s it was moved. And they filled the rest of that yard in, and it was the cemetery. They So where the church was became part of the cemetery as well. And it sat there for years and years and years and years. And there was overgrown weeds. Most of the people that had loved ones buried there were long gone. And they decided that they would take the land was valuable and yeah tourists were walking by the cemetery so they decided to move it to the middle of the island where it sits today so they moved the graves and if a family claimed it they would move the remains if no one claimed it they moved the headstones but not the bodies kind of the poltergeist thing so we know of four people that did not get moved they moved the headstones but not the bodies there might be more but there were four that, and I don't have their names off the top of my head because they're very European. Some are French, and I'll mispronounce them if I say them. But uh, they moved them over to uh, the headstones to St. Anne's Church's cemetery in the middle of the island, but they are still sitting somewhere below the ground. 
So yeah, there's and there's buried people all over the place. Yeah, and one side note, you know, uh, St. Anne's that's the, that's the oldest St. Anne's parish in the United States. Uh, that church has been moved several times, yes. and um, first started on, the, on this side on the mainland at yep. Fort Mitchell Mackinac. That was a question I had for you too. How many people say Mackinac versus Mackinac when they call you? You know, it's amazing. There's even people from Michigan who call it Mackinac, and I'm like, you live in Michigan, you don't know how to pronounce it. Um, the way that we've been told that it is, is anything from the bridge north is the French spelling and anything south of the bridge is the English spelling of Mackinac. English spelling is how everybody pronounces it. The French spelling is said the same way. It's just the C is silent. So everybody sees it and they say Mackinac because they see the C and that's how we would normally say it with the English language. But it's a French word, which the C is silent, apparently. Yeah, it's funny here in northern Michigan. But you we hear, hear plenty. Both plenty, plenty, plenty. <laughs> yeah, you hear both pronunciations of the French words up here. And it's kind of like boys blank should be boys, you know, boy blanc, you know. But uh, we kind of mispronounced uh, all the English terms. Yep. People here. call it Bablo. And I'm yeah, like, where do you get Bablo? <laughs> Uh, Todd, I've waited a, a long time to have the opportunity to, to speak with you uh, about our, our evening gigs. And uh, I know you're very busy with tours, but we've just uh, touched on the surface of the island's past, that pun intended. Um, would you be willing to join us again for another episode? Yeah, sure. All right. I'm your host, Christopher Struble, and we'd like to join us next time as we continue our discussion with Mackinac Island historian and owner-operator of Haunts of Michigan, Todd Clements, at Tales of Northern Michigan's Past. Mm-hmm.